I told her at the 9 o'clock, I said, you should go after the preacher because you messed me up. <laughs> oh. Would you pray with me? Oh, God. That's all we really want is for you to see us. We want to be known by you and known to be blessed. So awaken us today and speak into our souls. Let the stories, the redemptive stories, become our stories. Use them, God, to give us hope and healing. And all God's people said, amen. Oh, my, my, my. (laughs) Somebody got a rag for a woman. Thank you so much, Mojo. Woo! Okay. Let me gather. I know one thing. Patriots and the Giants got nothing on that. Woo! We are going to worship tonight. And Cynthia and Reagan are going to continue to feed our souls and lift us in worship. So y'all be here at 7. And uh, let's do that together. Well, today is Transfiguration Sunday. It's a, a kind of a moment where we veer in the church calendar and take a new turn. It is um, a moment where we leave behind us the season of Epiphany and we move into the season of Lent. And uh, it's my feeling that all of the parts of the church calendar have led up to this moment. And uh, the season begins with Advent, where we're waiting, waiting for that birth. And then there's Christmas, and we can celebrate the birth and the arrival of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And then we move into Epiphany, which is those aha moments in the early stages of Jesus' ministry, those divine revelations from God, the voices from heaven. But then today, it all builds up to this moment where they're on a mountaintop. At least for a moment, we get a glimpse of Jesus in his most authentic, authentic self. We get to see Jesus in that moment where he was fully human, but radiated with divine light. And I can guarantee you that Peter, James, and John knew exactly who was in front of them. They saw right there, transfigured before them, Jesus moved from that Emmanuel, God with us, to the Messiah, God saves. It was as if in that moment that Jesus kind of leaves that place of his formation, begins to move into his place of mission. And that's where the gospel stories take us next. We move from Galilee into Jerusalem with Jesus. In the season of Lent, we are called to follow him there and listen to him there. That voice says, this is my son. Listen to him. Our uh, scriptures today get a glimpse of a man who might have also felt like that journey because when Jesus headed to Jerusalem, we all know it was a place that was dominated had a, it was, he was going there to confront the domination system, the political and religious system. And Jerusalem, though, he found was a place that may have been feared to be a place of death, but we get to see it as a place of new birth. And that's where we find Jacob today, the place that he feared most, that he would die, and we get to see that it was a place for his birth. And so that's where we find them. I would challenge you throughout this week to um, get to know Jacob a little bit better. His story has so much depth and meaning, and I'm just going to glimpse over a few pieces of it. But it starts in 
chapter 25, and it moves through, oh, 35 will do you good. You'll get a lot of, a lot of Jacob. But where we pick up on the story today is in chapter 32. It's the story where he is uh, returning back to the promised land to be with his family and his brother Esau. But he's a man on the run. He's been gone for 20 years, and uh, he's not real sure uh, to, to what awaits him. He kind of remembers that he has deceived his brother, and he's kind of left that place with a, lot of de- with a lot of trickery and manipulation and done a lot of things to uh, rob Esau of his heritage. He leaves there and continues that journey and uh, continues the deceit. And so now he's running from that place 20 years later and trying to get home. He's so afraid and trying to prepare himself for this return home that he sends before him a bribe and a messenger. And so this messenger goes and delivers a bribe, and he comes back and he says, all right, Jacob, he says, we went there and we told Esau and we delivered the big bribe you gave us. And he says, he's coming to meet you, and he's bringing 400 men with him. I think right there Jacob is going, hmm, 400 men, that's not exactly what he had in mind for a peaceful family reunion. It smelt like war. And that's what he was afraid of. And so he begins to make more preparations. He divides his family into two parts, and is, he's coming with lots of uh, animals and lots of blessings that he had had. And he divided them in two parts and sent them in two different directions, thinking that if Esau attacks in war, at least maybe one of them would survive. So he's making all these preparations. And then he sends them all ahead and he goes back to the other side of the river. And there he finds himself alone, wrestling with God till daybreak. And we hear the angel say, It's almost daybreak. Let me go. And Jacob says, Not until you bless me. Blessing. What is it that Jacob so desperately wants? What is it that he has fought all these years to get? What is the deepest longing in all of our hearts? That we would be smiled upon by God. That we would have God's favor. That we would honor the one who creates us. And that our life would have meaning and significance and purpose. That's all we want. Sometimes we don't know how to put words to that, but Jacob had a word, and this word was blessing. He wanted the blessing. So he wrestles, and he holds on. And then came the moment of truth. God says, what is your name? Sounds like an easy question. Unless you see in the earlier story that he was faced with a situation much like this. He was faced with a situation where all he wanted was his father's blessing. He had received his mother's blessing. He wanted Isaac's. And Isaac was about, his eyesight was getting dim, and he was about to give his blessing to the firstborn, Esau. Jacob, you see, was born with his fraternal twin, Esau. But he was just a hair behind that finish line. He grabbed onto his heel, and that's how he got his name. Jacob, the supplanter, the one, the heel. And that's where he spent his lifetime. And right here, when he had a choice to make, he wanted that blessing. And so Isaac says, Esau, go out. Bring me a hunt. 
and his mother and him connive. And so they're sitting in the kitchen, and he decides to become someone else to get that which he most desired. Now, this wasn't an easy feat for Jacob. We get the feeling that um, Esau was an outdoorsman, a hairy man, smelt like the outdoors, I'm sure, <laughs> athletic. But what we see in Jacob is we read between the lines probably somebody who stayed in the kitchen a lot with his mom, probably smooth skin, probably wrestling. What was that? Not so athletic as Reagan said. But he went in there, and he had a plan. Him and his mother decided, well, we can just make you hairy. We'll put fake skin on you, because God knows he wasn't comfortable on his own. So he puts this fake skin on him, and he goes in there, smells like the outdoor, and he says to his father, hello, I want my blessing. And his dad says, what's your name? Who are you? I am Esau. Now his father wasn't so easily tricked, and so he has to ask again, he smells, feels the skin. Who, who are you? I am Esau. And so he gets the blessing. He gets the blessing. But here in this moment, he gets redemption. Because God says, what is your name? And in that second chance, he says, my name is Jacob. That's it. I am the one at the heel of my brother. I am the deceiver. That's me. I am Jacob. And that's when God says, all right then, now we can get some work done. Your name's not Jacob. Your name is Israel. You are no longer at the heel. You will be the father of nations. I have work to do, and you are Israel. It's a great story of redemption. It makes me think of a story that I've gotten to hear just a few times <laughs> in the new members class. In our new members class, Pastor Duane comes in and he offers the vision of the church. It's a small segment of the day, but it's always so powerful. And in that moment, he kind of gives also his testimony. And he tells us about that journey and that struggle that he had over his, over his lifetime. He tells us the story of seminary he was a Nazarene boy, as good as he could be as a Nazarene boy. And he graduates and he decides to serve as a Nazarene pastor. And he decides in that moment, this is going to be okay, even though I know that I've got something else going on here and they wouldn't accept, accept me exactly like I am. I can be there and be this person that will never preach a sermon that I don't believe. That will make this okay. And then... He goes and decides, and then I'll have my other life, my social life. And in the social setting, he goes and tries to meet new people, and he does different things, and somebody comes up to him and says, you know, what do you do for a living? And, he, and he's trying to tell them, well, I'm a Nazarene pastor. And whew, they go and refresh the drink and never come back. <laughs> so he realizes pretty quickly, okay, in the Nazarene church, I have to be this person. And in my social life, I can't be that person, so I have to create a new person. And I think the name he gave himself was Bart. He even took on a new name. Big Fro and the name Bart. That's his testimony. And he's sticking to it. So here is Bart, and here is this pastor. And the two just keep intertwining to where eventually 
He doesn't even know who Dwayne is. But then there's that time where there was a church, it was an MC church, MCC church that had taken his picture and had prayed for him. And there was that moment in time when God would say, what is your name? And Dwayne would say, my name is Dwayne Johnson, and I'm ready to be your pastor. And God says, it's about time we got work to do. It's a great story. Oh, I love that story. The story of Jacob is our story, isn't it? We put on our mask and we allow the voices of our culture and our religious leaders to hide that voice of God, the voice that was seated in our very birth, the voice that says to us, I knew you before you were even placed in your mother's womb. And I've put in my book all the days ordained for you. I know you. And I love you. You, Jacob's, can become Israel's. Did you know that a grain seed that has lain for a thousand years in the pyramids of Egypt, they sprouted after being planted? A thousand years. Not only that, weed seeds that were recovered from a sunken Spanish galleon sprouted after 350 years in salt water. Seeds, apparently, no matter how old, are alive. They're simply dormant, but they're alive. And when the right conditions come along and the right amount of warmth or soil or moisture, they wake up and bloom. There's a similar story in Thoreau's Walden just like this. There was a table made of applewood which stood in a farmer's kitchen in New England for 60 years. One day, a gnawing sound began to emanate from the table. It kept up for several weeks until at last a bug emerged from the table, unfurled its wings, and took flight. An insect egg had been deposited in the trunk of that apple tree before it was made into a table and had remained in the wood all those years. Warmed perhaps by the heat of a coffee urn placed on the table, it hatched, and that little bug gnawed its way out. Who knows what unhatched potential, what dormant seed lies in each of our lives. We are seeded with God's promise. I want you to experience this today, wherever you are. Those long nights, we've all had them, where we are maybe trying to figure out an illness or an uncertainty in our world, or maybe we're just dreaming of something. We have those long nights, and I want you to take with you a blessing. That's both a promise and a prayer. And so I've asked our pastor to read Psalm 139 to us today. Receive God's gift. Amen. Scripture was written thousands of, go, thousands of years ago, and yet it's so incredibly personal. And uh, this psalm, Psalm 139, is written in the first person. And I'd invite each one of us to make this personal and find that place. Put your hand on your heart. And just um, hear this as your prayer to God and God's love prayer back to you. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. 
even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the gloom will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the gloom is not gloom to you and the night is as bright as the day. Gloom and light are alike to you for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Amen. Mm.